Welcome to On the Bench. I'm Brendan Sinone. This is Chris Nee on the other side. Hello, Christopher. Good morning. This is the quarantine edition of of On the Bench. I, dude, I'm 99% sure I've got the corona. I've got chest stuff. I've been coughing, dry coughing, abdominal cramps, everything but a fever. How is that any different than what you were like two weeks ago? I shouldn't have said anything about abdominal cramps. I think people are going to make fun of me now. <laughs> they should. <laughs> I don't feel great. But, you know, it could all be in my head. We know I'm uh, a bit neurotic. But anyways, uh, we we are uh, we are both kind of just chilling at our own respective houses. And this is going to be a uh, an old school type of podcast with, with me and Sinone just kind of riffing back and forth, talking about spring football before we get into the dynamics of spring and our observations and general thoughts through three practices and what will likely only be three practices, although that's not official yet. Chris, I, I want to get your thoughts. You were up in, in Greensboro last week when when the news of the ACC tournament stopping uh, occurred. You were there in the chaos. Uh, you saw kind of the fallout, and, and then obviously you've covered the team so closely this season to see the season stop abruptly. I'd just like to get your thoughts, and if you could paint a picture for us, what, what the whole last few days, week or so was like for you covering that aspect of, of this coronavirus and how it impacted some that you really, really love. Well, Wednesday and Thursday is about as wild of a 24-hour period as I've ever covered. And it was, it was surreal. It was weird. I, the way, when things started rolling downhill, they rolled downhill really fast. I remember sitting there watching the beginning of the UNC game. I was sitting with Shim Rivera, who was an intern with us, does hoops, good friend. We were sitting there watching a UNC, I believe, assistant AD was sitting to my left. And that's when the NBA you know, officially halted. And I informed that individual of that. And his reaction was clear cut that, man, that means really bad things for us in this tournament. And we knew by that point that evening that fans weren't going to be there the next day when FSU was set to take the court against Clemson. But, you know, within an hour and a half from that point on, we went to the airport to pick up my wife who flew in to go to the games. But at that point, she wasn't going to be able to go to games. And while we were sitting there, me and Sean were just discussing the fact that we weren't really convinced we were going to be watching any more basketball. And fast forward to the early next morning, you know, uh, Commissioner Swafford goes on Packer and Dern saying the games will go on, which truthfully I was surprised he said at that point. Then we went to the Coliseum and he addressed the media in person there in the Odeon Theater. He was about half an hour late talking to us, which I'm sure was because of phone calls with the A5 commissioners and such. And then he spoke, wasn't particularly very good in that setting. I thought he kind of faltered as a leader, did a poor job. But he also looked completely worn out and exhausted. And I'll cut a man who is of a certain age, some slack in that regard. But he kind of doubled down that they still expected to play and all that. And it it was just clear at that point it wasn't going to happen. And by the time we were on the court, you know, roughly 40 minutes before tip-off and the Power 5 conferences started ending there, tournaments it wasn't a matter of if it was just a matter of when and you know about eight minutes before tip i think is officially when the acc announced that they were not going to play but i saw jared lazarus going back and forth jared lazarus for those who don't know is the director of basketball operations for florida state i saw him going back and forth and he came out and was talking to mike bradley mike bradley's a strength and conditioning coach he was working with the team in stretch and whatnot during pregame and it was pretty clear that there was conversations going on there i don't know distinctly that Lazarus told Bradley that, oh, man, it's over. But he did tell him to bring him off the court at a certain point. And it was kind of clear at that point because Clemson wasn't returning to the court that teams were getting wind of the fact that they weren't going to play that day. And then the the whole trophy ceremony, weird deal. I'm indifferent on whether or not they should have awarded the trophy. I mean, I think FSU earned it with their regular season. 
But again, that's a conference tournament trophy. So it's kind of like, you know, hey, hey, either way. Um, but who really cares at the end of the day? It's fairly meaningless in the grand scheme of things with the fact that everything was halted. Basketball is over. You know, it just thinks that for this FSU basketball team that they didn't get to keep playing because they were a uniquely special one for this university and this program. And for a guy like Trent Forrest to likely see his career end in that fashion, it stinks. Same for Dom, but especially Trent with all that he's done here and helping to build the program up. And it's just, it's weird. Everything went from, you know, in about a 48 hour span, you went from fairly normal state of operations when it comes to athletics nationally, professionally, and collegiately to it all just not existing, being a great pause. And that's where we're at. And, you know, it's a new normal for now. It is. It was so surreal on my end, Chris, and not being invested anywhere near your level of, of covering the basketball program, but just watching that all unfold live on TV. I was trying to do like football transcriptions and getting video and stuff up after practice. And I'm just watching them on the court warming up. And I'm like, there's no way they're they're going to they're going to play. Why are they on the court warming up? And then it goes from it being canceled to all of a sudden that that tournament or the, the, the tournament uh, championship trophy given to them was so surreal that that ceremony. It was just it was weird. Uh, and, and like you said, it's a normal, normal though. There's been a lot of weird kind of coming out in, in recent days. And, and I think it's going to keep being being weird for a while. So we're here to kind of provide as much stability and, and normalcy as possible. This podcast is going to be for entertainment. We're going to keep rolling out episodes as often as we can. Uh, during during this downtime so Chris I want to kind of put a, a ribbon on spring football practice because I think it's more or less done they haven't actually announced that there's no spring game yet but it all seems like like spring football is done for the foreseeable future and I don't think we'll see spring football so you were at two practices I was at three uh, we got to see I mean entire practices which was so unique from the coverage standpoint Chris how cool was it to actually be out there and get to see and hear things more than just like a 15, 25 minute window? I mean, it's great, especially when you're trying to kind of learn a new staff and see how they operate and see how guys are going to take to them. When you're able to take in the entire picture, it's a little bit more vivid and clear to understand how things are going to go about. I was impressed with the staff. I thought they were very, uh, they were pushing it. They were pushing the pace. They were pushing what they were trying to implement. They were kind of, doing too much, but with intention of doing so. And I thought that was a good thing. And I thought it was interesting to see how guys responded because that's adversity, but you also understand who's here to work and who kind of wants to take the new coaching and who's tired of this program not being good versus those guys who maybe just were kind of there to collect the scholarship money and make sure they were still in class. Of the coaches and, and being able to watch the interaction, someone had asked us on the message board, who is the most impressive and, and truthfully, it's going to be an obvious answer to me watching Mike Norvell, his energy, his attention to detail, the things he sees and, and his ability to ping pong back and forth between uh, being a teacher and someone who's explaining why something isn't being done right. I mean, like really delving into the minutia and then, and then being able to, to rip someone a new one and then go back to rewarding them like on the next rep. Like it was so impressive. I, I came away so very impressed with him knee that, that to me, that was the guy who really stood out throughout the spring of, of just the way he sees things. It's at a different level than, than what we've seen here in a little while. Yeah, he gets after it. And it, it's impressive that he's able to kind of stick his neck in anything and everything and have a say. And he, he's very good at being concise and precise on what he's informing guys to do. 
but he's also talking about the overall goal. It's always about what is the goal we're working towards, but it's also about fixing the little things along the way to be better at what we're trying to accomplish. And that's what you want a head coach to be. You want him to have the hand. Jimbo, and I'm not going to invoke Jimbo all day about this, but Jimbo had his hand in every cookie jar, and sometimes he spread himself too thin doing that. But at the end of the day, he knew what his team as a whole was going to look like because he did that. To me, Norvell is kind of similar where he's capable of putting his hand in every cookie jar and he understands what he wants a goal for the entire team to be. And I think that's a good thing to see from a head coach, just that he's able to put his fingerprints on every faction of his team. What I like about that dynamic in particular, Chris, is that he doesn't overwhelm while doing that, while being uh, focusing on the little details, while jumping into a drill. Like the drill doesn't halt because he's involved in it. He yeah, does he it does, in a way that seamlessly and works and coincides with with the other coaches where it's not invasive. Yeah. He doesn't drown out the other voices in the room, which is important. You don't want to undercut the guys that you're trusting to work with those guys every second of every day. So I left those three practices feeling that FSU is in really good hands. Now, in all fairness, when we had the new Willie Taggart regime, I think we were refreshed by by the tempo, by the attitude, by the way some things were going in practice. So it was all with a grain of salt. We only see three practices. Uh, The honeymoon phase is always the best part of any new era. I'm just saying I think there's there are things that you can gravitate towards and and be optimistic about whether you want to be cautiously optimistic or whether you want to go full on board. I think Mike Norvell knows what he's looking at. I think he's a really good practice coach. I think that gives FSU a good chance for it to, to translate to game days. Um, yeah, and I think the coaching tree from the top to the bottom is solid, too. You, you look at Norvell and the next two up are your coordinators. And Kenny is a mini Mike Norvell in the sense of the way he thinks they, they're very you know, coinciding with one another with the thought process, what they're trying to accomplish as an offense. And then Adam Fuller is a dude who comes off as a future head coach who's very precise, very thoughtful, very, you know, he's he's about the work and he's about the outcome and he's about everything it takes to do that from the in-between. And talking to those guys, I think it was after practice too, it was, um, I was just very impressed by them. I, I liked that I asked Kenny about the quarterbacks, and he basically didn't want to give me a BS answer and just told me you need to ask those guys. But I know what we're trying to be. I know what we're trying to get to. I know what we're trying to accomplish. And then he spoke about individually with each of those guys, how they're kind of working with them, you know, raising the confidence of a Jordan Travis or getting Jay Black to not live in his emotions so much or just working with Tate on being a young guy who's kind of getting a feel for everything that's being thrown at him. So to me, that kind of painted a picture of, a similar personality trait as a head coach who's about the big picture, but also about the individual. I saw that with DOC. I know Fuller has that. And then I like the other guys we saw, you know, JP, for example, hearing him yell across the practice field, it doesn't sound natural to him, but he's about getting after it. Chris Marv is super intense, really caught that. We obviously know what Odell and Ron are. We've been around them a long time and uh, just kind of working through the rest of your David Johnson's a guy that I felt like was very much a teacher Chris Thompson brings a great amount of veteran leadership to the bunch. Am I whiffing on anybody? Marcus Woodson is a guy who he's played that position. He knows that position. You can see him working with DBs that he knows what he wants to get out of them. He very much works with the cornerbacks is primarily where we saw him. So just in general, kind of watching them, taking it all in and coach Atkins with the O-line. I really enjoyed coach Atkins because he ain't, he, he's not polishing a turd as they like to say, if you're not doing it right, he's going to let you know you're not doing it right. But he is there to try to help those guys get better. Those guys have been lucky enough that while they've had many different coaches in recent years, I would definitely describe their current coach and their last coach as guys that want to teach them to be better. If they're willing to take to it, they should improve. 
but that group needs a lot of improvement. Okay, let's start going into the position groups. I agree, Chris. Let, let's go with quarterbacks. Start off there. You mentioned some of the work that Ken Dillingham was doing with those guys. You have James Blackman, you have Tate Rodmaker, and you have Jordan Travis. Those are the three scholarship quarterbacks right now. Uh, through three days, I thought James Blackman was by far the most stable of the three, but even then he was very consistent. I don't think uh, – let me know if, I, if, if I'm – wrong on this Chris I, I didn't leave spring feeling super optimistic about the quarterback room but again it was only three days like we didn't get to see a chance for for guys to really develop and and learn much within the offense I mean heck there was only one day there was only one day of pads on so it was tough to tell but I didn't get the warm and fuzzies uh through those first three days yeah to me scrimmages tell so much about a quarterback and sadly we never get to those and we probably won't get to those at least not until the summer um James is James. I don't think he's drastically different than what we've seen in the past. I think the thing with him that we're seeing the coaching staff try to do is fine-tune how he goes about handling the peaks and the valleys. I actually thought Jordan Travis was better in a practice setting than I ever saw him last year. That's not to say he's all-world. Just saying I thought he threw it a little bit better. And Tate had some of the best throws, actually. So he dropped a couple in a bread basket over the shoulder down the field. But his throwing motion has a little bit of a hitch in it, and there's clearly things as a freshman that he's learning in real time. So, if, you know, I was deeming one the winner of the quarterback competition after two days of practice I viewed in three days total. It would still be James, and that doesn't give me the warm fuzzies, but can this team survive with a game manager who handles those peaks and valleys much better than he did a year ago? That That's a big question with James. And whether James can get to the point where he is a quote-unquote game manager, whether he kind right. of fits that, that mold. Uh, day two, we saw him make a lot of panic throws when pressure came. He just throw the ball up there for grabs. It led to at least one interception that I can recall in 11 on 11. May have been more than that. Uh, but day three, I will say this, and they put the pads on. The pressure was coming a little bit more <laughs> frequently. And when they were going team stuff, he did a much better job. If, if things broke down quickly, just get rid of the ball. That right there is a little nugget of hope, that little that little sliver. If you want to say, okay, we can, we can see whether this – coaching staff can improve james blackman's biggest flaws which is not handling things well when it breaks down and being inconsistent as a passer uh if he can learn to take care of the football and just live for another play not put his defense in a bad position uh, if he can improve on that and take coaching i think then that gives you some reason for optimism but again we're, we're talking about a really small sample size but i will note that he went from being careless with the ball on day two to being really safe with it on day three, that's progress. Uh, with with Rotomaker knee, you mentioned the the two really good throws he had on day two. Uh, right now, I mean, I, some people are hoping that a true freshman can come in and and win the starting quarterback job. I, that just seems that that just seems like a lot to ask. I think Rotomaker is someone that needs a little bit of time, and then Chubba Purdy's not going to come in until until the summer. I I, I don't know, man. I. I think asking for a true freshman to come in right away is probably not going to happen, just given the time restraints of when when these guys, what they, how little time they have to work with. In an odd deal with the great pause going on, say they resume or do some form or fashion of spring practice in the summer months. You know, it, it's all there's so many moving parts to what's going on. But say Chubba Purdy graduates on time, is able to leave Arizona in May to come here in the summer. You know, say all those pieces are in place. If they then have, say, 12 practices in the summer that are the equivalent of a spring practice with Chubba Purdy involved, it's very interesting. It changes the whole dynamic of all that, being able to throw a guy in. So 
that would be one of those odd things coming out of this uncharted territory that I think would be interesting to see if it did unfold that way. And we do keep fielding questions about whether we think a, a graduate transfer could still be in play. Like uh, we've asked, Norvell's been asked about this directly by us on the podcast. I think he's talked about it in other places too. Kenny Dillingham has, has talked about, you know, when you use the transfer market and so far, there's no indication that that's what they're going to do. Now, maybe that changes, but I don't know how the spring period really, you know, the limited evaluation that you have to really look at your quarterbacks, whether that changes what Mike Norvell thought of his quarterback room going into into the spring. It, it's TBD. It adds another variable to this. And right now, I can't say that they're actively looking. I, I don't know that to be a fact at all. I don't I, I don't expect them to add anyone right now. Yeah, and we know they like both Purdy and Ronmaker, and that we know they also like Altmaier, who's part of next year's class. So I think it's one of those things where you don't want to throw a you know square to the circle, basically, and uh, cause an issue with those younger guys that you intend to build around. And there's some short-term planning here; they want to win in the now, but there's also long-term goals that they want to accomplish. I don't. I think they don't want to derail the uh, long-term goals by having some short-term vision. Now, if the right guy fell in their lap as a grad transfer, who knows what they would do. But I don't think they view anybody in that market as worthwhile to go after at this current time. Okay, running backs, again, hard to tell because we only see one day in in pads. uh, But the most impressive guy just physically seeing what he can do. And I think you'd agree with me, Chris. uh, Jay Sean Corbin just looks the part, one, with the eye test, but then two, the way he moves, the way he catches the football, the way he carries his weight. I left extremely impressed, exited spring extremely impressed with him and, and his upside. Yeah, he's a guy you can tell has played big boy D1 football. He's physically prepared like a guy who played D1 football, and his footwork is very impressive to me. His footwork is something that immediately caught my attention the first time I watched him move. In the two days I watched, I definitely saw that. Another back that caught my eye was Anthony Grant, but it was for the wrong reasons, and I'm not trying to pile on, but you can tell he's been away from football for several months and everything that comes with that, the nutrition, the strength and conditioning, all of that. He's out of shape currently. He's heavy on the top half. He's a guy that needs to get himself in shape because he's built to be a physical banging running back. You know, he's got those legs you don't want to see running at you in the fourth quarter. But he would take two reps in practice and be sucking wind. He's just a guy that needs to get himself in better shape and you know, maybe his hope was to do that throughout the spring with getting back into the groove of things and eating right and all that. But that's now been derailed. It's going to be upon him to try to do that for whenever football does resume. Yeah, and there were some glimpses, like a couple reps here and there, where, where Anthony Grant would, would show you, like, oh, that, that quickness, that burst in a pretty big frame uh, that made him impressive back in 2018. The issue is you just didn't see that enough. Again, a small viewing window. Yeah, if, you, if you're trying to run tempo with that guy, you're not going to be successful at it because he's not going to last to play 7, 8, 9, 10. You, you know, you might get a good start of the drive out of him, but he doesn't have the ability to have that endurance right now in the football field. I agree. And we'll see, I guess, through the offseason if he comes into summer camp or, or whenever football resumes in a little bit better shape. That will be telling, I guess, of, of how committed he is to, to this program right now. The rest of the running back room, Chris, I, I don't get a great feel for it. I, I thought Ja'Kai Douglas had some really good moments. You know, on day three, he showed some really nice burst around the edge. You kind of see that speed that he was known for in high school translate over to to the college level. Like That's impressive. Uh, I think that'll help you out pretty early on in his career. 
but Kalen LeBorn, I, I through three practices, man, I didn't get a great feel one way or the other for for what he's going to be within this offense. I, that's very much TBD for me. I'm not sure if you saw anything different than I did. I, I don't have a great feel for it one way or the other. No, I agree with both of those points. The one thing with Douglas is it's quickness more than like top end speed. He's not slow when he hits top end speed, but he's got a nice little burst to him that. You know, if he finds a hole and slips it, he can get through it real quick to the second level and make somebody miss. He's a uniquely built kid who's shifty with good quickness. I just think he's kind of a curveball to what they have in that room currently. All right, moving to let's go to offensive line. You mentioned you mentioned Coach Alex Atkins and, and the way he worked with the offensive line. To me, that was one of the biggest differences in in coaching styles. You know, we, we saw Greg Fry was was kind of sporadic, I guess, at times. And I, and I think FSU's had good offensive line coaches the last few years. It's just it, they just haven't gotten enough talent in there. And it's tough to judge this position, Chris, because Dante Lucas, Darius Washington, not at full go in spring practice as expected. Uh, but but looking at Greg Fry and the way he worked with that room, you know, he'd be really, really patient until he wasn't. Uh, Randy Clements, I thought, was really, really delicate with how he handled them and trying to build that that room's confidence up. Alex Atkins is just going right at them right away. There's no no coddling. It's it's can you help us or can you not? And if you're not willing to do the little things like just being mindful of technique, uh, I'm gonna let you know because they don't have the options and the bodies right now to to really waste reps. Yeah, I mean they're missing 40% of their starters right now in my view in practice because of the absence of Darius and the absence of Dante. But uh, what they're working with is not very good. It's going to be tough throughout the spring if spring was to continue as things currently stand for them to operate with that offensive line. Devontae Love Taylor was an interesting thing to me. They kept moving him around. We saw him work at each tackle spot, even at guard. You know, he's he's built a little bit differently than I guess I envisioned in my head with watching him at FIU. Maybe he looks a little different in pads. He, he's a little shorter than I thought. Just the way he looks on the field, he doesn't look like a left tackle to me. He certainly looks like a guy that you're going to have to use that right tackle or even maybe left guard. Maurice Smith was a guy that I wanted to see more of, but he got a little dinged up, so we didn't see him as much. Ira Henry's a guy that he was one that I think this is an important time of his career to try to work towards that next step of being a contributable depth, depth guy. Excuse me, a little cotton mouth over here. Um, not because of the Josh Newberg reasons. Hey, uh, center, you know, it's Babyon and Baselli. Baselli's a better snapper. Babyon dropped a little weight, looks better physically, but also still got pushed around some. But he wasn't go, going against guys like a Marvin Wilson and uh, Robert Cooper who are capable of doing that. So that's one of those things where in a practice setting, it's kind of tough to tell, oh, are we bad at this or are we good at that? Um, so just kind of soften the blow on that. But overall, that group, they, they need reinforcement. CO line needs to get better talent on it. It's a position where they certainly need to live in the portal and probably get in a body or two just to have dependable to deep depth. You know, a guy like Mike Arnold right now is not dependable. He's in the worst shape of his career at FSU. And there's others in that group who just aren't ready to take the fastball down the middle of the plate. You know, in crunch time, they're not ready to handle that. They they need guys that have played the positions that can at least help them break even, which I think is what Love Taylor will be. Those two injured guys, I think, can be that. I think center is going to be a competition till the end, and then the other spots kind of up for grabs. You mentioned break even. Let's think about it in the context of like the pro football focus grades, where like sixty is average, an average football player. I think you would ideally want your your starters to be at 70, but let, let's say how, how many guys you think can be 
in the 60 range throughout like used in an entire season that currently we're practicing this spring like other than brady scott is there anyone and maybe Devontae love taylor like i think those are you had two guys who can maybe be average offensive linemen uh yeah i mean those those are definitely the first two that come to mind um brady's done it enough and played every spot where i think if he settles in at one he'll be serviceable um love taylor's guys again played a lot of snaps obviously moving up a bit in the level of football he's going to play week in week out but i think he can be serviceable in that regard you know you would hope that one of your centers could become that but i'm not ready to deem either of those guys prepared to be that um i feel like if you could combine those two guys you'd have a really really good center but you can't so that is what it is i think you know i'm trying to think if there's anything else on the offensive line uh, that I want to go over. I mean, I think there's the two that you mentioned. Uh, and yeah, that's about, that's about it. There's work to be done there. That's one aspect where the spring practice being truncated more than likely, they were doing so much mixing and matching, man, uh, with trying to figure out, you know, where's Devontae Love-Taylor go? Where's Brady Scott go? Can Baby on Johnson help us at guard? That Chaz now you, left tackle is another one. I mean, yeah. Chaz, Chaz frame-wise, has always looked like the guy who should be your left tackle. But, man, when bullets start flying, he struggles. He he didn't know much about playing the position when he arrived on campus, and he's now dealing with his third coach in three years. It's tough for a guy like that to take to it. I mean, Zane Hearing's a guy who got thrown in the first team reps while we were out there, and he's a true freshman. Zane's a tough, hard-nosed kid, but he's a true freshman playing on the offensive line right now on the first team offensive line that that's just kind of that speaks to the lack of talent they have in that group that they're having to run a guy that fresh out of high school out there we're technically not supposed to talk about first teams let's just say a source told us that zane herring was getting first team reps at left guard pretty consistently throughout the spring i think my co-tweeted it that when they when my Uh, coaching staff was watching that it was great to see two madison guys running first teams all right yeah we will attribute it to that the secret is out of the bag (laughs) this is what i was going to say is that this is another example just like the quarterback room you're trying to figure things out you know for this new coaching staff it's just such a such a bummer that spring likely ends and, and you don't really get a chance to do the the experimentations and, and the vetting process that you would like to do as a, as a new staff to kind of see who can help you out and, and maybe more importantly, who can't, but small potatoes compared to, you know, what we're dealing, dealing with right now. Um, tight ends. McCann McDonald. You know, you want me to go? Get started. Just do it. You know, you want to do it. Saying White Rector does look like someone who can help you out a little bit this season. Would Would you agree with that? Yes. Yes. Yeah. He He is surprisingly far. I I don't mean this in any kind of negative tone, but he's really fluid for a guy who's as put together as he is muscular wise. He you know he kind of looks like a guy who you're not sure he'd be real flexible. He's pretty fluid out there. And he certainly is hard-nosed. And I think that coaching staff really, really likes him because of the fact that he is so good in the weight room and he is so good in doing everything else that's asked of him. And he's selfless. And I think that goes a real, real long way with those guys. And he caught it well. You know, that's yeah, the, the, the hands were the most impressive part to me. I had no idea if he could do that. Like, we just didn't know. And I think he yeah. caught everything that was thrown his way. Maybe there was one contested catch where he didn't bring in, but he was diving for footballs. Now, he was... He was impressive. I don't know if he gets scholarship this year or not. I have no idea, but he looks like someone who belongs at this level. Um, and maybe you reward him with the scholarship. Cam McDonald. Mm-hmm. What do you want to say? Anything else on on Wyatt before we move on? I will say no, this: no, no. The, the hype Go machine ahead. with the hype machine with Rector. And I know we write about him a lot, but but I do think he's someone who can help. 
people comparing him to like Travis Kelsey and stuff like like chill out <laughs> chill out a little bit. He's someone who's going to help you. I think a, a good deal uh, throughout his career at Florida State, special teams, and and taking some some snaps uh, as a tight end, but but maybe like give the kid a chance to kind of develop at a new position first too before we compare him to an all pro tight end. Uh, he's ma- he's made for the hybrid spot that they want their tight end to be, which you know for Clemson it's called a three, or at least it used to be in their offense, and it's what Garrett Williams, former uh, FSU legacy, was recruited to be at Clemson. It's basically a guy who can block because you know he's physical. You know he's willing to put his nose into a helmet and do that. But he's also a capable catcher. He's also a good lead run blocker. He's also a guy that to play flexes one way or the other. You can use him as a flex blocker who can release and catch the ball out of backfield. So it's a whole lot of versatility. And a kid like that who kind of has that mindset, that position probably more than anything, you know, obviously you want to freak from a skill perspective, but you're only going to find so many tight ends that are that way. But from a mindset perspective, White Rector probably checks all the boxes. There you go. More than anybody else on the roster. That was the quintessential on the bench moment. We had Wyatt Rector talk and checking the boxes in one sentence. This is all, all of the boxes. All the boxes. <laughs> he does have to get a little bit better as a blocker. He's learning how to do that. He did have a nice block though to kind of help spring Chakai Douglas. He's willing spring. to though. Yeah. Then that's that blocking. That's blocking very much. Well, there's a lot of technique and stuff to it. So much of it's just a mindset. Are you willing to be physical and mean and try to end the guy across from you? And I think Wyatt has that to him. Cam McDonald was limited early on so we didn't get a great chance to see him i am really intrigued to see what he can do in this offense and, and how mike norvell can be creative he does like to move his tight ends around i know cam mcdonald's excited about the, the the possibility of being featured in this offense he didn't feel like he had much of a much of a stable role within the the last scheme uh let's see carter boatwright your boy you know he has a pretty steep learning curve but you are he, seeing he looks some, very much like a freshman right like if he looks like someone who was playing high school football not long ago i agree but but he his does his best he, friend at time is hugging the trash can <laughs> he he did get <clears throat> excuse me it's, it's the corona um he did get better from day one of spring to day three in terms of uh just getting used to the level of speed there so like there's there's something there to work with it's just it's going to be be a bit of a long burn for him i think uh let's see wide receiver we know what tomorrow ontario is i i thought me that he looked much more comfortable on the inter- intermediate stuff and even some of the shorter patterns uh more consistent catching the football obviously you know he can go up and make the freaky catches i've loved watching him in the sante samuel battle back and forth samuel yeah. truthfully has gotten the best of him the first two days i thought day three was was Terry's better day, but those two guys go back and forth. Uh, he's yeah. he's as good as advertised. Jordan Young having a good preseason camp. DJ Matthews has been as quiet himself being quiet as I've ever seen him in his career, but he's been fine out there. He's been a little bit hampered by a minor thing, but he's also done a lot. He, he did um, have on day, on day three when you were uh, traveling, he, he had his best day where James had connected a few times. Yeah, you see that chemistry he, between the two. Was he still subdued about it? Yeah, he was, dude. He's like, it's he goes. Weird. It it was. It's it's weird, and we haven't gotten talked. We didn't get a chance to talk to him, but yeah, he very businesslike is how I would describe it. We're just kind of going, doing his thing, and and it's good. That's a good thing for him. He Jordan, has all his talent in, in the world. Jordan Young having another consistent good practice season. The big thing with him is seeing if it translates to the real thing. They're using Warren Jordan Tom- Young. They're using Jordan in the slot, just for our listeners. That's an interesting dynamic because of his athleticism, uh, and and you know what 
Norvell likes to do with slot receivers. So that's something worth noting. Sorry, go on with Warren. Warren Thompson's the king of making the difficult look easy and making the easy look difficult. If he can ever smash those two together and become a more consistent receiver, he can do really, really big things. He athletically is really gifted. He may be, after uh, Terry, the second most athletically gifted guy in that bunch right now because he is a bigger frame than a DJ, and he is very athletic down the field. And he can make difficult catches look really, really easy. But, man, sometimes it's the easy one that crosses his face that he just has to put two hands on and bring it in, and he drops it. And it's it's so frustrating to see him do things that are exquisite and then feel simplistic. And it's just kind of been him. Um, you know, he's another guy kind of like a James Blackman and different tone who needs to get his emotions a little more in check and in the center and not worry about everything and not be eccentric about everything. Just kind of be, you know, consistent. And I think that's true for him in all facets. And then Brian Robinson's a freshman who I like a lot. Brian looks really good physically, caught it well the first day that we were out there. Um, he kind of blends in as a guy that you can't tell is a freshman. Like you don't look at him and they go, oh, man, he's got to fill out and that kind of stuff. He's obviously going to develop within his career, but he looks like a guy that fits now with that group. And then Pokey Wilson uh, just kind of does what Pokey Wilson does, which is like he, he he's such a glue guy. Uh, he was really good in, in the blocking drills when they did their, they call him the W drill, which is like an extended Oklahoma drill, much more fast paced than the, the no drill. Don't worry folks. Uh, but it is kind of similar in, in what you're trying to accomplish. Uh, but he, he had a couple of really nice block there. And you just remember that he's, yeah, he's a kid who's willing to work hard and do the little things to get on the field. So it's a nice, it's a nice wide receiver room with a lot of potential. Uh, I'm interested to see how it kind of comes together over time. Moving to defense, let's start with the inside because that's the the strength of this new four three scheme is is Marvin Bolson, Robert Cooper. Those guys are going to make it really, really hard for the offensive line to get or the offense in general to get quality reps this spring. I mean, they're just disruptive especially cooper uh marv not wasn't always involved in, in everything uh he remember he had this uh, surgery on his uh was on his wrist late in the last season so robert cooper really really good uh, i'm he may he may take he may be someone to look at who could be taking taking the next step true thompson i think you know what you're getting out of him consistently the one move chris maybe i'll let you yeah i'll get your thoughts on it dennis briggs playing three tech a little bit more i think that's an interesting we didn't know where some of these guys going from the three-man front to the four-man front were going to move. Him going to three technique is, is an interesting development. Yeah, he's always been an edge setter as a defensive end. He's a guy that does a great job maintaining at the line, being strong, kind of forcing his guy whichever direction he wants him to go and being able to rip and move. I think moving him inside is a pretty natural movement for him. He's not going to have to add much weight if he's going to hunker down in there. He's already a pretty wide, big-bodied kid, good strength. He's been good there. He ran a lot, the first and second team, it seemed, in those two days that I was out there. Um, Don't want to say specifically one or the other, but he was with that group a lot beside Marv at times, and he fit. He looked really good. And then the other guy with that group is Malcolm Ray, who he's a big, freaky athlete. He's got some things he's got to improve on from a technique standpoint, doing what Odell wants of his guys there. But, man, Malcolm Ray is a twitchy kid for kids – hanging around i don't know 290 300 pounds right now he he's big and he's fun he's one of those guys i don't think it's going to happen necessarily this year but when it does i think it's going to be real real fun to watch he kind of reminds me of broderick bunkley um does that remember bunk he, he just bunk was a physically mean could throw you around but was also surprisingly quite quick for a large human being 
kind of guy. And Bunk didn't really do great till late in his career. He kind of clipped late, and that's when he took off and became the NFL draft pick. He became Malcolm Ray reminds me of that in some ways. He's big and he's fun. Maybe the most knee thing that, that you can could have said. He's big and he's fun. He he does move he really is. well for he he does move really well for someone who's added a lot of weight in a short period of time. That's encouraging. Let's and go I, to the Jared, well. Jared Jackson was working inside, right? Yes, he was. Yeah, he he's a guy that needs to. He kind of got the Anthony Grant thing going on where he needs to get back in better football shape. Um, he's a large human being himself, about two ninety these days. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if he's in better shape, he's a guy you could flex inside or outside if you want him on the edge, but I don't think he's physically in shape right now enough to play on the outside, but he yeah, has worked I, most of his career to this point in time has been outside outside, but in, in the four, three scheme, if he's hovering around the two ninety range where he's at now, it probably makes more sense for him to be more of a, a quick interior guy. Three tech, uh, would, would probably make the most sense. Edge players, Chris, uh, what are your general thoughts? on what That was a position that we were going to be hyper-focused on. What did you see from, from the defensive end guys? Uh, Kendo and Robinson are both kind of uh, half-duty at this point, so it's tough to gauge a whole lot with them. Kendo's done more. Um, I, I did find Quachon Fuller to be in much better shape. He reminds me of his junior year of high school self, which was probably his best season of high school ball. He's in really, really good shape, quick off he, the edge. He, he was great with the pads on too. Well, I won't, yeah. maybe not great, but he had his, his best day uh, when the pads came on on day three for context there, which is really important. Josh Griffiths gets his ass downhill and he's physical. He's strong. He's mean at the point of attack. He's what you want from a DN. I think he can help you from a depth perspective. And then Derek McClendon's a guy who I think is going to contend to be one of the best players from his class on FSU's roster. He just looks ready to do it. There was a lot of talk of him last year being close to playing more and more and more. We truthfully didn't see him play a ton, but he, you understand why that talk existed last year. He looks prepared to do it now. Do you feel better about that position group exiting the three days that we got to see than, than you going into it? I know I do, uh, and I want to get your thoughts on that. I do and I don't. I feel the depth is better than I thought yeah. it would be, but I need the 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 two in the hole, the ace and the fox, the two guys at the top of the mountain to be there, and I need to know who they are and what they're going to be. Obviously, that should be probably J-Rob and Kando, but I need to see it from those guys. And because of certain reasons, we weren't able to in the limited practice we've been able to view because of the great pause. And that that's going to be the title of the podcast. Thank you. I was trying to think of it at one point. What should we title it? The great pause is what we're going to call it. Um, that's why they're still looking at defensive end in the, in the transfer market. There's a reason why you need someone who you can kind of be relying on to to be the consistent pass rusher outside uh let's see linebacker that's another group where i feel better exiting spring than i did going into it with the depth i think the depth is real solid stephen Dix jr uh he was really good on on day three the first day in pads i thought he acclimated extremely well uh and that's the guy who's going to help push for for playing time i don't know if he's going to be a day one starter i think that's probably too ambitious but but someone who's going to contribute on special teams because he wants to do his neck. like he, he looks like a senior the way he's physically built already. Uh, he loves to work. Yeah, he, he does. He's someone who and – he, and he was a little bit more athletic than I thought he was going to be too. So I'm I'm uh, I'm all in on him right now. I'm, I'm on the, the Stephen Dix hype train. You mentioned, though, Chris, one player who stood out to you the first two days that you were just really impressed by the way he was dialed in, his work ethic. That was Amari Gaynor. Yep. Amari looks like a million bucks. He's still a little bit thin. I think he's always going to be that way, but he's put on good weight. 
He he's great off the edge. He's great in space. He's quick to the point of attack. And he his focus on what Chris Marv or any other assistant was saying to him was there. He looks like a guy dialed in, wants to be better, wants to take to this coaching staff, kind of setting a tone for his group. I, I really liked what I saw from Amari. I also thought Emmett Rice was very good. Emmett loves flying around being physical. I think Emmett is the healthiest he's been in about three years, too, which is a good thing for him. Felt good about him. And then those younger guys that came in last year, the Kevon Glens, the Kalen DeLoaches, and the uh, Jill McCray. All three of them look like guys who can contribute, who can bring something to the table, can certainly help you from a too deep perspective. So I feel pretty good about that. And then you have Leonard Warner mixed in there who brings something to it. I still think he's a bit of a battleship, so I think there's limited reps he can do. Like he's a guy that can definitely help you against the run, plugging a hole or just stuffing up the middle of the field. But I don't know if I want him out there, if he's going to have any pass responsibilities. You know, that's just personal opinion on him from me. Uh, I think Julian McCray is someone to focus on who who could steal some reps this year. We saw him play kind of up and down as a true freshman, but the intensity level is there. I know he won a lot of our, our, uh, our readers over when, uh, when we posted the video of him the other day, he's a really thoughtful, smart guy but he's intense out there on the football field. He's willing to be mean. Again, consistency and and little things like breaking down a tackle. And, and those are just things he has to get a little bit better at, but he's someone who I think could push for, for really meaningful reps. Uh, and I just feel like the depth is so much better. Chris, were you were you surprised at all that Amari Gaynor was playing that stud position? I, I was kind of thinking he'd maybe play more. You could play him in so many different roles. I thought maybe more inside. I thought the stud position going into the spring was going to be more focused on uh, safety type of type of guy more of like a Jaden Lars would be but that wasn't the case from from what we saw no I, I think it's perfect for Amari I think Amari's a kid that brings value at all three levels defensively obviously his best level is at linebacker but I think it plays to him he can he can turn around and go backwards and be capable in coverage he's also capable of coming off the edge so I think he fits that. I think what the safety spot would, would be, for example, I think Fuller's looking for a very physical guy at that spot. Physicality is definitely something he wants out of his safeties. You know, the five we saw working at that in the second practice, all five of those guys kind of speak to that. When Cyrus Fagan is your least physical of the five guys, you know you got some physicality in the group. So I, I think that kind of speaks to what he's looking for to two different spots. And I think Amari brings value at the stud spot. Let's let's transition to safety, and, and that's a position group that has certainly underachieved, I think, in in recent years. But you look at the talent level there, and there's guys who who pass the eye test. You know, Jaden Lars would be still recovering from the knee injury, but he's someone who, yeah, I think he's going to be a really good downhill uh, safety for them when he's playing on the short side of the field. And you could probably do a lot of things and move them all over the field uh, over a period of time when you can kind of start installing more within the defense. Uh, Brendan Gant. One of the cool moments was on day two, Norvell got into Brendan Gant for not finishing a rep uh, and, and basically kind of pouting. He punched a wall because he missed a tackle, essentially. Norvell uh, wasn't having that. Gant didn't really respe- respond the way Norvell wanted him to. Norvell kind of kept on him. He was like, hey, you know, what do I want to hear? And gave him a yes, sir. And I left that day being like, all right, we'll see. Yeah, Brandon Gant is someone who had issues kind of controlling his emotions last year. This is a new staff. Like, is he going to to buy in? Well, day three comes around and he was all over the place, man. He was he was making plays in the backfield. He was deflecting passes. He was active. That was so good to see him respond in that way. Uh, so, so those are a couple guys at the safety spot. Uh, what did you make, Chris, of the move, Renardo Green, to from from cornerback to safety? Was he there in practice three? 
Yes. Okay. I love it. I think it's the more natural of the two spots for him. The thing I like about Renardo is he's like a bullet flying out of the gun chamber, flying downhill to whack something. And he can also play the ball. And I think he just fits safety so well to give you kind of a different look from a Lars Woodby or Hamsa, you know, those more bigger body physical, knock you off your rocks kind of guy. He's a guy that can kind of shoot in the tight spaces. He can work against the slot a little more effectively. Um, he can just help clean up the middle of the field quickly because he is quick. And he's got a mean personality on the football field. So I, I just think he, he fits that with what you have at corner that you can afford to move him to safety. Basically, you're trading him for Carlos Becker at safety, and I think he brings more value at safety than Becker. And Becker may bring unique value at corner against bigger receivers. So I think it's a fair trade, and I think it works for what they're looking for. I don't think Becker's a guy that's going to be relied upon to the same magnitude as a Renardo Green. Where do you think they're going to put Hamza Nasraldine when he's full go, when he's 100%? Would it be at that field side safety? Because I, I, I don't – I mean, him and Woodby are kind of similar with the things they do, but I know Hamza has a little bit more range. I don't know if you want to try to get both of them at safety at the same time. Yeah, it's a, it's a good point. Um, truthfully, I don't know. I mean, I viewed them, Lars Woodby and Hamza, as similar roles at right. that safety position. I think at the other spot you want a guy like a Fagan or a Green who's – got a little more cap quickness, a little bit more get downhill and clean something up than those guys who are more like play finishers who can roll downhill and blitz and give you some unique looks or, you know, also protect the middle by scaring off guys who are going to get alligator arms because they're going to get hit. So I, I think you're looking for two different mindsets at the two spots, both bringing physicality, but one's more of an enforcer type while the other one's a little bit more of a cleanup type to get downhill and clean things up. Is there anyone else at safety that I'm missing? I know Cyrus Fagan. Oh, Cyrus and um, and, and Raymond Woody the third. Raymond Woody had his yeah. day two. He had a couple couple nice picks uh, and really broke on the ball extremely well once in one on one drills. So like there's there's depth <laughs> to, and guys to kind of play with. It'd be fun. Woody Woody in his two years at FSU is a super reliable kid. He's an excellent special teams player when needed, and he's just a guy that you know if you run him out there, you're gonna be okay. Like he, he knows what he's supposed to do. He's very smart when it comes to the game of football. He plays really hard. He brings it rep to rep to rep. He's a guy that takes the coaching. I'm sure as the son of a coach, that's kind of a natural thing for him. But I, I enjoy watching Woody just operate. Like if Brendan Gant had the mentality of a Raymond Woody, man, it'd be awesome because Woody's kind of a steady Eddie and just knows what he's supposed to do when he goes out there and keeps it the same way whether it's success or failure he stays the same way Gant, you know rides the waves a little bit more and Gant's far from the only guy on his football roster who does that we talk about warren thompson james blackman and others who deal with that but that's one of those things that as more guys get to that middle of that equilibrium of being the same way consistently whether it's success or failure that's going to breed more success because you don't let the last play haunt the next play or you don't let the success of the last play cloud your judgment on the next play Let's transition to cornerback. You mentioned the move of Carlos Becker from safety to corner. Uh, when healthy, like his footwork, his length, yeah, he can give you some unique things there. I don't think he's a a, a full time starter, but certainly sub packages and certain matchups, maybe even like a, like in a nickel package, you can put him outside and and move a certain someone. And I'm going to let you talk about him, Chris, uh, into into nickel back. And let, let's uh, tell the people about the alpha dog of the of the position group. Asante Samuel Jr. has been a badass. The two days that I was there, he was the best player on this football team. 
Um, you know, he's going against one of the best players in Terry, and he neutralized him a lot. And it wasn't Terry not making an effort or Terry not trying hard or things being off. It was Asante Samuel was locking up the best player on the other side of the field. He's awesome. He He's the definition of a dog on the football field. I know we don't love calling players animals, but that dude is. Um, he, he's a <laughs> not, not, not an animal, but he is, a, he is very much so the pit bull mentality. Nothing easy on him, man. Nothing no. is easy. It's constant. And, and he, he's been good his whole time here. Let's not act like he hasn't been, but he is a guy that he is not going to let the circumstances surrounding him impact the way he plays one bit from the way he approached spring practice for the first couple of days I was out there. He's completely in his mind of I'm going to dominate every single rep myself, what I'm doing. The rest of the position group, I'm trying to think of, of who else we got there. The, the other cornerback spots. Travis J. Yeah, he's going to be at the, the big, one of the bigger roles, the, the yeah, boundary side. He's a big-bodied athlete who can really move on the field. He's a super athletic kid. It's going to be fun to watch him get in the groove of things. Because last year, obviously, he, because of the situation he was in academically, it stymied his ability to do everything on the field. But – you know, as we spoke on earlier, Coach Co referenced the fact that two Madison boys were out there starting, and Jay's the other one he was talking about. Um, Jarvis Brownlee is a guy who I know you watched more than I've watched. Uh, Isaiah Bolden's another one that we've seen out there, and you know he showed us glimpses last year when he didn't have to deal with injuries of what he could do. And then Akeem Dent's not practicing obviously because of the injury that's been addressed by Coach Norvell, but he's a guy we expect to probably be at corner when he gets back. And I think of the the guys in that group, Jarvis Brownlee has been a really pleasant surprise. And he, he held his own in limited action last year before. I think he had like an ankle spring uh, at Clemson. Uh, but he's someone who seems like like he can certainly help out a little bit. You know, with Travis Jay, someone I was really excited to see this spring. I mean, he looks like a million bucks. He he passes the eye test. He's exactly what you want in a cornerback, uh, like a big, uh, the, the big, long, physical type of corner to mesh really well with the, you know, smaller, speedier Asante Samuel. I just need to see more consistency with him from footwork and, and those things. And mind you, like he hasn't played that position in a year. He was more at safety uh, with the, with the scout team last season. So, uh, yeah, that position is something that's more kind of TBD for me. I'm interested to see Akeem Dent when he gets healthy, he can go full, uh, what he can do if he if he contributes opposite of of Asante. I feel like there's someone we're missing though, Chris. I'm looking at the roster right now to to try to figure it out. It's tough because they've been mixing and matching some different positions, but uh, yeah, I think everything kind of starts and, and ends with Asante Samuel. There, I'm looking right now. Anyone else? Nope. I think that's everyone. All right. So that wraps up position stuff with the spring. Uh, I don't feel the need to go into special teams a whole lot right now. I will say this. They really, really pay a lot of attention to special teams. They start with they it, do. and they, then they have another drill in the middle of it. Uh, not a surprise, right, dude? Why, why Why? Mike Norvell's special teams groups are usually pretty good? Yeah, a lot of coaches involved with it. A lot of, you know, when they're stacked for a kick return, for example, why this line does this, why this line does that, what you're supposed to do how what you do, you know, 25 yards on the field contributes to what the guy 25 yards behind you is going to have success with. They're very uh, fine-tuned. And it's a pleasure to watch after watching an abomination of special teams for the last two years. It's not been, not been great. Um, all right. I think that's everything. Let's go p- final 
final parting thoughts here on the spring. Chris, what what's the maybe one thing that you wish you had an ideal world, if it, not a coronavirus-filled world right now, if you could have seen uh, all the spring practices, what would you have liked to focus on or kind of feel, I guess, what feels incomplete to you right now after after just three practices? Uh, well, I only got to watch the two, as was noted. I, I don't think the offense is very good. Um, and that was a strong opinion for me after day one and reinforced by day two. I would have been interested to see what the offense would have been able to manage to do as they learn the system, as they figure out who they can rely upon, as they try to figure out how to block it up up front with the O-line. My biggest reason why I don't think the offense is very good is the O-line. And that's an overriding theme of the last several years for us. You know, if you can't block it up, it's pretty damn tough to do everything else you want to do. So that was going to be the thing for me is just seeing the progress of an offensive line through another 12 days of install, a couple of scrimmages, and ultimately the spring game. And as we're in the midst of what would be a spring break, technically, uh, though certainly things are, are changing, but people have asked on the message board, like, what what does the coaching staff do from here while while things are delayed and we're at the, the pause, like Chris said? Uh, right now they're on vacation. They're, this is like a built-in vacation. That's what this week was supposed to be for the coaching staff. Mind you, like a lot of these guys are still trying to settle in after what was a chaotic you know, beginning to the stretch to to their tenure at Florida State. You're know, trying to finish your recruiting class. Like they they pretty much only had a weekend to to get moved in right before spring practice. And some guys didn't have houses yet. So that's what this week is. Uh, we'll we'll try to get more information on like kind of how they're handling recruiting, how they're trying to basically be in touch with different prospects. Uh, we'll get more on that after this week. I think that's the plan right now. Is there anything else you want to add, Chris? No. Okay. Uh, for for Chris Nee, I'm Brendan Sinone. This is On the Bench. Uh, stick around. Listen to us tomorrow. I think we're going to have a fun episode if everything goes as planned. Uh, that's all I, will, all I will tease for now. But everyone, thank you for listening to this episode. Hopefully this kills some time for you during during a, a slow time of year for all of us. So, all right, guys, we'll, uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. I don't think I stuck for that.